So a big welcome to our live audience for coming to this episode of Digital Health Investor Talk. I'm your host, Stephen Wardell. I'm the managing partner of Wardell Advisors, a, dig a digital health advisory firm, and the author of The Future of Digital Health. Wardell Advisors is helping digital health companies address issues around growth, fundraising, partnering, and strategic alternatives. This show is being recorded and will be included in my podcast series called Digital Health Investor Talk. This is not investment advice, and we are not investment advisors. Today's topic is, how will the financial crisis impact us, the innovators? Um, digital health is a part of tech, and what did the continuing shockwaves of the financial crisis mean for us specifically? First off, here's the format of this investor talk. I'll talk for about 40 minutes. After that, I'll be taking call-ins from our audience. In order for you to do more than just watch, you need to register for an account with Callin. To register, you can access Callin at callin.com uh, or through the Callin social podcasting app in your app store. The Callin platform works similarly to Clubhouse Rooms and Twitter Spaces for a modern social audio experience. You can also email me questions at stephen at wardelladvisorsllc.com. I treat the ones emailed to me as, uh, as anonymous uh, for the purposes of this broadcast. Once you've registered, you can use the text chat or press the website's call-in button to indicate you'd like to speak up and join the discussion. So now is still a great time uh, to hang up and register for an account and join back in as someone who's registered. Um, so the first thing I'll, I'll talk about is our Fed meeting. Uh, so the Fed meeting ended today at 2 p.m. Eastern, and the Fed announced it was raising rates another 25 basis points. This was roughly in line with expectations, and it shows the Fed is not backing off, being hawkish on inflation, despite the ongoing banking crisis, which was in part caused by higher rates. Um, the Fed also indicated that it, it thinks it may not need to raise rates much further in the future. So it's setting a hawkish tone on inflation, but also saying that we may have seen close to the end of rate hikes. The NASDAQ was down about a point last time I checked on this news. The silver lining is that uh, if Fed rate increases are near an end, then that could signal a catalyst for digital health VCs who are sitting on the sidelines waiting for the stock market to find the bottom in terms of valuations it could uh, serve as a signal for VCs to jump back into the market when we do finally reach the end of the Fed rate raises, which now could be April or in the next few months. So that's my, my initial thoughts on the, uh, on the Fed meeting and what it means for digital, for digital health. Um, so next is um, we're going to have a competition on this call. So the, the single best question or the best combination of questions and comments will get you a Silicon Valley Bank Risk Management Team t-shirt. Um, so I'll award this at the end of the call, uh, but you gotta let me know afterward who you are, your address, and your shirt size for me to send it to you. So we'll have some fun uh, with uh, getting some uh, active comments and engagement, uh, and you can win your own Silicon Valley Bank Risk Management Team t-shirt. So with that, I'll start off with uh, any questions from, from the audience. Um, so uh, uh, thanks, Dave. I'm glad to see the enthusiasm. Um, 
So any questions so far from the audience about uh, Fed rate hikes and what it could mean? Um, so the next is, and by the way, I, I see that my video's gone dark. I don't know why that is, uh, but if you could still hear me, can you, can you type yes in the chat if you can still hear me? Um, uh, and uh, so then um, the next is, I, I don't see anyone, hmm. I don't see anyone typing yes in the chat. Uh, so, okay. Sounds like um, good. So people can still hear me even though the video has gone off. Okay, good. So then, um, so just asking for any, uh, any comments on Fed rate hikes and what that could mean. So very specifically, by the way, um, what I think it means is that I think we in the innovation sector of digital health uh, are waiting for the Fed to hike rates and then say it has finished hiking rates because it believes that's enough to tame inflation. Uh, and that will signal a bottom for valuations in public markets, and that will also provide a catalyst for VCs to invest more actively. The, a lot of VCs are sitting on the sidelines right now. So we have a question from Dave, uh, which is, um, do you think they are doing it because of the risk to the value of treasuries and how that could undermine bank stability? Um, so I, I think that the Fed raised rates to, to uh, be hawkish on inflation to sincerely tackle inflation. And I think that they, that, and that hurts banks that may have in 2020 or 2021 invested too much in treasuries. Um, uh, uh, and then seeing that, that value on their book decline, uh, which then makes them insolvent. Um, but I think the Fed also maybe thinks it has, it has in place programs to give liquidity to those banks, maybe to buy their bonds back at par enough. Um, so uh, that's why they think they can still raise rates. So, okay. So next I'll go into some trade news and what it means for the sector. So first I was very surprised and pleased to see that Gravy, an employer health benefits company that also offers insurance apparently for small and medium enterprises. So these kinds of companies usually, because they're not selling to the progressive large employers, they often go under the radar screen, but they raised 179 million of series F funding uh, this past week from a syndicate of investors led by John Reese of General Atlantic. So we haven't, we haven't been seeing a lot of deals like this, not a lot of Series F deals, not a lot of $179 million fundraises. Um, and so I, I think what's going on here is this is a, this is a tech-enabled services deal, which is still a relatively hot category in the health insurance plan uh, uh, air, you know, sector. Um, and that's, and it's, you know, I, I would guess that the company's got you know, is, is showing real revenue and real ability to get to profitability if it can raise around like that. Um, you know, uh, this is in a context of very few deals that are Series C, D, or, or later getting done right now because the IPO window is closed and therefore um, companies can't figure, can't work out, you know, when they'll be, go public and for how much, and therefore they're having trouble raising those later rounds. So this was a very positive development to see this uh, deal announced. Next, uh, Zeus Health raised a $50 million Series B. Uh, CEO Jonathan Bush, funded by Jazz. Uh, I wonder who was the partner there at Jazz, probably Zach Lynch, I would imagine. And F Prime, probably the partner there would be Carl Byers um, and Maverick and A16Z. 
So, of course, Jonathan Bush is a, is a superstar, and even in a tough environment, you'd expect him and his company to be able to raise money. It's good to see, you know, uh, a, a solid Series B fundraise like Zeus Health, uh, led by Jonathan Bush. Doesn't mean it's easier for for most of our innovators out there who are trying to raise Series A and Series B. Um, uh, so then, um, Open Loop uh, raised a Series a fifteen million dollar Series B. Uh, for a virtual care staffing company um, uh, backed by Nava Ventures. So not very familiar with Nava Ventures, um, but staffing has been uh, you know, a very hot category for the last three years or so. Um, and this is a, you know, and so uh, it's, it's good to see other fundraise in that area. So this is showing, I guess I would call these maybe green shoots. We're seeing some green shoots uh, of uh, of leading companies successfully getting fundraises in a tough environment. Um, you know, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said that 0% of Series C and later deals are getting done. Uh, and um, maybe 30% of Series A and B deals are getting done. And then maybe 75% of C uh, deals are getting done. Um, so it's, it's good to see that uh, this is, I'd say this is consistent with that take. Um, and then Pair Therapeutics announced it is pursuing strategic alternatives. This announcement got a lot of publicity. It's pursuing a sale. Um, it won't hold a fourth quarter earnings call, uh, suggesting that it, it thinks it won't be a public company anymore by that time. Uh, it's withdrawing its guidance for 2022 and 2023. Um, uh, and it announced it had um, 4.1 million in quarterly revenue and a $31 million net loss. Um, uh, and it was also laying off 22% of its workforce. So this is, this is very bad news for Pair, and it's very bad news for our sector in general. I think what we all want in prescription digital therapeutics is we want there to be many successful companies with many very successful products uh, and a lot of investment going in, a lot of innovation, a lot of entry of new companies, entry of new products, entry of new people, entry of new venture funds into this sector. Uh, and instead, it's got sector's gotten stuck on a number of issues. Um, you know, one issue is usability. Digital therapies are just are they're just less usable than pills. Um, another is that they're less usable by patients. They're, they're less usable by physicians. Um, another is reimbursement. Um, they they get reimbursed like medical devices and it just is, is a real battle it's very slow um, to get reimbursed uh, and uh, you have to wonder what kind of efficacy they're showing if it if it is so hard for them to get reimbursement it takes so long to get for them to get reimbursement from payers but so this is going to be a bellwether for for digital therapeutics people are going to look at this deal it's going to discourage talent from entering and investors from entering so those are my um news stories, trade news stories for the week. I just wanted to ask for the audience, do you guys have any questions or your or comments or um, your own uh, trade news stories you want to cite uh, as being important this week? So with that, I'll, uh, I'll move on to the next section. So the next section is, is, is macro outlook. Um, so the news here is that on Sunday we had uh, journalist and observer Jason Calacanis calling a he's seeing a Fed created recession. So uh, that we're going that he's saying we're going into a Fed created recession. So this is the first I've heard uh, an analyst make this call. 
Um, and if you look at the economists at places like Fidelity, et cetera, they all say that we're, we're ending a long period of expansion and we're in a slowdown of expansion and we're going to go into at some point a period of contraction, which is a recession. Um, and we have uh, our first analyst calling a recession and saying it's a Fed created recession. So, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily see us exactly entering a Fed created recession right now, but a banking crisis and the uncertainty created by that certainly doesn't help. Um, we're due for one, according to nearly all the economists. Um, uh, and interest rates can trigger uh, and uncertainty around a banking crisis can trigger um, a, a recession. And in general, recessions, they are they're not good for, I'd say, for like series B and later digital health companies because it causes the big buyers in healthcare, the product buyers, um, to belt tighten uh, and to spend less on tech and automation in general. Um, but it can be a decent time for really young companies, seed and series A in digital health, um, because uh, they uh, can... Um, uh, they might their fundraising may not get worse and their ability to hire talent and get and get moving and solve some critical problems may be the same or better during recession so that's the the context of um you know the 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 uh, the calls that were headed into a recession so um next is um so that the NASDAQ has been going sideways for the last two months. Uh, and this is not good, not, not good news for digital health. We're sort of in a stuck period right now. What we want to see is the NASDAQ, you know, going from high to high. Uh, that means that digital health companies that IPO will, will be richly rewarded with high valuations if we were to see that. And instead we see the NASDAQ is, is down, is, is well below its high and has been going sideways for months. Um, so also a possible IPO window opening. This is good news. Um, so once again, uh, market commentator Jason Calacanis has made a call that uh, he saw that Instacart and ARM, the, the, the chip manufacturer, have uh, announced that they plan to go public. Um, and uh, we've seen very few IPOs. And so uh, what we're looking for is a number of tech companies in, in digital health. What we want to see is we want to see a number of tech companies go public and we want to see their stock pop on the first day and we want to see them close above opening uh, for a few weeks. Uh, and we want to see this lift the, the markets and we want to see um, more companies line up to IPO. That's what we'd like to see because once that window is open for tech, it's open for digital health. And that means later stage deals can start being funded. And that means people can price companies more accurately. Um, so very interesting that this could be a positive sign. So the two positive catalysts here is that we may see an IPO window opening and the Fed also raised rates only a quarter point and said that, that this may be toward the end of rate hikes, meaning that we could stop hiking rates in April, May, June, July, sometime like that. Uh, and that would be the bottom. Uh, and that would create certainty for venture investors who are sitting on the sidelines right now. So um, next, uh, uh, and I'd say public markets are still risk off right now. Uh, that means they don't reward companies that say have high growth, but negative earnings. Um, and that's, that's also bad for our sector. Um, and public digital health companies continue to trade well below their highs. Um, so public investors are rewarding more quality earnings, even if those are slow growth companies. 
Um, in private markets, just checking in on private markets like Digital Health Venture, um, digital health investors continue to mostly sit on the sidelines, waiting for public markets to find the bottom of pricing. Um, and while some fundraising deals are getting done, especially for earlier stage companies, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping to see, uh, you know, uh, catalysts lead to more investors jumping back in. So um, that's it for the macro outlook. Uh, any other comments uh, by the audience or, or additions or questions from the audience? Um, okay. So I'll touch on valuation levels now. So the most recent SAS Capital Index for end of, uh, of February was that median valuation levels for SAS companies are at 7.2 times forward revenue. Um, and that, that hasn't changed much since then. And that's also holding steady since the last month. Um, and uh, so uh, this is, is up from January when median was trading at four to five times um, next 12 months revenue. Um, and it's below the long-term median of SAS, which is about eight times. Uh, so we could, we could look to see um, SAS valuations at the median return to normal in the future, climb back up to eight times. Um, and it's well below 2021, which was really an exceptional year when the median was 16 times. So th that gives you an idea of how much valuations have pulled in. They pulled in by still more than 50% um, from 16 times in, in January um, uh, to, uh, uh, I'm sorry, for, in 2021 uh, for the median down to 7.2 times today. Um, back in 2021, the high growth companies were trading at 30 to 35 times forward revenue. And now high growth companies are trading at around eight to 12 times forward revenue. So that gives us an idea of what median companies are trading at today and what high growth companies are trading at today compared to metrics like the low in January and the high of 2021. Um, so that's uh, a look at valuation levels. Um, anyone want anyone have any more comments on uh, uh, or questions so far? Um, so now I'll jump into uh, just digital health industry reports. So I, I didn't see any important reports come out in the sector over the last couple of weeks. I'm wondering if anyone in the audience has seen any important reports, important findings. Um, you're welcome to type them into the room chat. Uh, uh, let me know um, and we'll talk about it. Uh, and then um, upcoming conferences. So conferences and should you go to them? So the first, the first conference I'll mention is Vive. So Vive is a conference that's a combination of the college of healthcare information management executives, CHIME, and HLTH Health. That's the conference throwing company of Jonathan Weiner, backed by Oak. And they, they put on the health conference uh, and they do a great job with the health conference. And the health conference is designed to be a kind of a JP Morgan killer for the healthcare sector. And Vive seems to be designed to be a HIMSS killer for the healthcare sector. And it focuses on innovation, uh, for the provider sector. Uh, it's, it's focused heavily on the provider sector and it's March 26th to 29th in Nashville 
tickets are $2,600. Um, so I was going to attend this. Uh, I'm no longer attending this uh, because of the financial crisis. I'm too busy uh, to attend it. I also think that decision makers are going to be distracted and you'll also see some non-attendance at this conference um, because of the financial crisis. Um, but I do think it's a very good conference if you sell into providers, if you want to reach VC. I think it'll be an excellent conference to, to do meetings with VCs. Um, if you uh, sell to providers, VCs who invest in companies that, that sell software into providers, um, a lot of them will be there. Um, I think it'd be great to participate in any kind of matching program that they have to match you with VCs. Um, then as far as innovation executives, so these tend to be consolidator and innovation executives at big healthcare providers. I don't know if they'll be there. I don't know if you if you are able to match with them through the conference or reach out to them in advance. I don't know if they're going to vibe or not. I think VCs are going, I think young innovators are going. I don't know if the right consolidator executives are going. So that's the summary of, of Vive. Then HIMSS is coming up. So HIMSS is a conference that began all about the hospital CIO, the kind of person who buys EMRs, and HIMSS is trying to expand to other areas like software that the radiology department would buy or software the CFO would buy of a hospital or other areas of health innovation. And we don't know that if that transformation of HIMSS is gonna be successful or not um, uh, from an area that used to be focused heavily on the hospital CIO budget. So that's, that's gonna be April 17th to 21st uh, in Chicago, tickets are 1600 bucks. Um, and uh, so uh, they have a program to connect you with VCs. That's great. I would do that program. Um, and they also have a program for startups to present. So that, that's great. I would do that program as well. Um, so uh, then, and I think you, I think the biggest complaint about hymns is that, um, uh, is that, uh, uh, is that the hospital CIOs themselves often don't attend. Um, so uh, you may be able to meet with people from the office of the hospital CIO, but the hospital CIOs themselves don't attend. Um, and this year, a lot of conferences are sort of recovering from having been shut down by the pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see if you still get the same you know, incredible booths uh, and the same um, you know, uh, level of senior attendance at HIMSS as, as at prior years. Um, and I think Vive was intentionally set to be a few weeks before HIMSS um, so that uh, the people at the health conference who are behind Vive view it as, as a way to undermine and, and sap attendance and, and, and grab all the attendance from him. So next is the bio conference. So coming up June 5th to 8th in Boston, uh, tickets are 3,500 bucks um, for the bio conference. And here you do get um, VCs who invest in sort of wet bio, but who also invest in digital health that, sell, that is related to the life sciences industry as well. Um, and you also get consolidator executives as well. So big pharma's VCs, big pharma's product managers, big pharma's business development managers and corporate development managers, um, big pharma's acquisition executives, uh, they go to bio. So this is, this is a good sector if you are you know, selling software into the uh, the clinical side of pharma or the commercial side of pharma or the infrastructure side of pharma. This is usually a great conference to go to. June 5th to 8th in Boston, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a startup track here, the Startup Stadium. I would, I would go to that. Um, 
And there's also a business forum for one-on-one -on -one partnering meetings. That, one, that has a good reputation. I would do that as well. I would try to meet with uh, investors and consolidator executives um, as well. So, and then last, lastly, there's the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, June 6th to 7th in Boston. Um, Flare Ventures and Humana are the co-chairs. That, that means they're the sponsors of it. The tickets are 1300 bucks. It's in Boston. It overlapped with bio. That was probably unintentional, I'm guessing. Um, and uh, I think this, this is an outstanding independent um, investor conference. So this is conference is all about investors. Um, it's all about uh, meeting with venture investors, a little bit of meeting with consolidator executives, primarily meeting with venture investors, both uh, young private digital health companies, also public companies are there as well. Um, but this is a great independent um, investor conference. Uh, I'll, I'll be going to that one uh, as well. So that's an overview of upcoming conferences and events. Anyone have any questions, comments, uh, suggest a conference, want me to review a conference? Uh, let's see. So we have, a, we have a question here from Yash, which is, uh, how will payers react to contract contracting with health tech innovators with the financial crisis in mind? Um, does it give them more leverage to contract at better PMPM rates? Um, how does the crisis impact negotiations in the next one year? Well, so big, big picture, um, before there was the financial crisis, so thank you, Yash, for that question. Before there was a financial crisis, there was something that I'm calling regime change. Regime change was for the last five quarters, we've had a high inflation, high interest rate environment, at least compared to the recent past. Um, and in that environment, it becomes harder for young innovators to raise money. And in that environment, um, payers and employers have more leverage um, with those innovators. Um, and also big established vendors um, uh, can leverage their balance sheets in a way that young innovators can't leverage their balance sheets. So for example, um, you know, a company like a Philips uh, could, um, you know, could uh, uh, be a vendor to, to payers and employers uh, and leverage its balance sheet more than, uh, than, than, a, than a young startup could. Um, so that's, um, uh, and now when you add, I, and my thesis of this show is that, is that the big change was the regime change we had five quarters ago when we had higher interest rates and higher inflation, which is bad for innovators. Um, and the financial crisis basically makes the, the, the new regime a little worse, not a whole lot worse and not better. Um, uh, and you know, one uh, intriguing thing we're seeing is we, is we might see that the, that the banking crisis will cause rate hikes to stop soon. So that's, that, that's an impact the banking crisis could have, but certainly the banking crisis has been a headache, a distraction. It's caused decision makers to have to um, have uncertainty about making big decisions, making big commitments into the future, um, and so uh, they're they're less likely to change. We innovators need them to change in our direction in order to win, um, and so um, I, I think it it would give um, payers, health insurance plans, and employers um, a little more leverage uh, with vendors. Um, to get better terms, um, you know, if, if they uh, if they realize that um, you know, th those vendors uh, need them more now, for example. So, but that, thank you, Yash, for the question. So, 
So that's, so that, that, that's a review uh, of upcoming conferences and whether the digital health leaders uh, should be attending those conferences. Um, and then I'll, I'll just summarize some, uh, some personal appearances. Uh, so my next show will be March, Monday, March 27th. That's an unusual day with Grady Hanna, uh, the CEO of Nightwear, a sleep prescription digital therapeutics company. And we'll, we'll be talking about reimbursement for prescription digital health therapeutics. And he has some, uh, some strong ideas and some novel ways to get reimbursed. Um, and you can find all of these events and you can register for all of them at my Eventbrite site, stephenwardell.eventbrite.com. Um, so I'll be in New York the week of April 4th. Um, so I'd love to meet with people on the show if you're New York based. Um, and I'll be doing a live show from New York on Wednesday, April 5th at 4 p.m. The show will be with longtime digital health venture capitalist Andy Geist, the founder of Health Tech Capital, on the topic of building a scalable health tech company. Uh, later that day in New York at 5.30, I'll be hosting a Digital Health Investor Talks drink night at the Hyatt Grand Central's lobby bar. Um, if you'd like to join, you can visit that Eventbrite site, stephenwardell.eventbrite.com. Um, on Thursday, April 6th, I'll be doing another Digital Health Drinks Night in Philadelphia at the Hyatt-centric City Center Hotel. We'd love to see you there if you're Philly-based. Um, and then on Thursday, April 13th, I'll be hosting another Drinks Night in Boston at the Liberty Hotel. And finally, I'm going to HIMSS on April 17th to 21st in Chicago. Let me know if you're going to HIMSS. I'd love to, to meet up. So. Now we get to the, and, and um, any, any further questions or comments from the audience? Um, okay. So now I'll get to my thesis, which I hinted at before, which was um, Silicon Valley Bank closing and the financial crisis. How is it impacting our community, the innovation community, the world of young innovative companies and VCs? Um, so first, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, it was, it was frequently cited that about half of Silicon Valley startups were uh, customers of Silicon Valley Bank. And many VCs were as well, more than half of VCs. Um, and initially it looked like their deposits might have been frozen and only made partially available over time. Of course, that, that didn't happen because of a Fed rescue. Um, uh, but when it comes to digital health, I would say that it is nearly the same, not as high market share, but nearly the same. Silicon Valley Bank was, was as important to some of the slightly later stage digital health companies as it was to all of the Silicon Valley companies. So Silicon Valley Bank um, closing and then the contagion spreading to First Republic and other banks was enormously disruptive to CEOs and VCs. Um, already VCs are largely sitting on the sidelines waiting for evaluations to find bottom right now, except in, in certain favored sectors. Um, and so uh, this scare was very disruptive, very inconvenient. Uh, it sent some CEOs you know, out to spend the whole weekend building a daily cash flow plan for the company for the next 60 days. Um, it sent people out looking to open up new bank accounts, um, you know, to um, uh, to spread their risk into multiple 
bank checkings and savings accounts. Um, it caused people to move company money into personal accounts because it was faster, which I'm sure was, was above board, but they should probably shouldn't have done that. And now they need to make sure that they get the money back in safely into, into, you know, banks that aren't going to have problems. Um, so very, very jarring, disruptive, uh, inconvenient, uh, it, and it hit digital health nearly as strongly as it hit Silicon Valley. Um, and as I mentioned before, my thesis here is that starting about five quarters ago, we had regime change of higher interest rates, higher inflation rates, a risk-off environment in the market, valuations pulled in. Um, and this has been uh, created a, a, a tough fundraising environment um, for innovative young digital health companies. Um, and the banking crisis um, has uh, is is um, has slightly amplified this problem, um, but uh, it, and it's consistent with this negative regime change that we've seen, um, but it's not making it much worse. Um, and that's partly thanks to the Fed sort of coming to the rescue for this. Um, it's also not really offering us much of an opening uh, to, to get out of a problem of high interest rates and high inflation rates. Um, so slightly, it's made regime change slightly worse for us, it hasn't given us an opening to get out of to get out of the situation of high interest rates and high inflation. So that, that that's my my basic thesis here. Um, and the silver lining is perhaps we could see an end to rate hikes soon, like in the next one or two quarters. Um, and we, we and we, we can and we I think we're all hoping that what the Fed's doing is enough to sort of beat inflation. So it's been very distracting. I think people have been canceling attendance at conferences like South by Southwest, which is over, and Vibe, which is about to start. Decision maker, makers feeling somewhat paralyzed, um, uh, and uh, they don't know what to do about future valuation levels. They don't know what they don't know whether they can make future commitments. Um, uh, and this this can be especially jarring for young companies. Um, maybe less so jarring for established, profitable uh, companies. So on the on the competitive landscape of young companies versus of, of challenge of young challengers versus incumbents, this may affect incumbents less and young challengers more. Um, so I've, I have some more to say, but I thought I would pause for a moment and just see if I can get any any, any response from the audience. Um, any questions about this? Any comments um, uh, about uh, uh, specifically the Silicon Valley bank closure? followed by you know, sy systemic problems that the Fed has rushed to address, uh, all in the context of, the, of being in a, a regime of higher interest rates and higher inflation. Let's see. So, um, so a question from Yash, uh, what are the safe haven banks for new innovators right now? So uh, that's a good question because, um, uh, and I, I, I can't claim to know much more about this than just what's been commonly said on the, in the financial press, but um, the, the US banking system is, is complex. It's a major source of capital for, for small businesses across the country. Um, and uh, there's, there are 
national banks, regional banks, and local community banks. Um, and among the national banks, several of the very largest were given a designation by the Fed as systemically important banks. And that meant that uh, the Fed could allow banks to fail and go through the orderly um, uh, receivership process of the FDIC. The Fed could allow that. And the Washington establishment and state governments could allow that. Um, but if a problem, a serious problem arose with a systemically important bank, and these are the very biggest banks, including, I believe, J.P. Morgan and Chase, the commercial banks, um, uh, then uh, you might see the Fed and other actors step in immediately to resolve a problem to prevent the problem from getting bigger for the whole system. That was the way the system was supposed to work. So that would allow and look regional and local banks lobbied very hard to get the system to be this way because they wanted a sort of a, you know, a license to bank. Uh, and they didn't want to, they wanted a license to bank regionally the way they wanted to bank. And they didn't want to have to meet the standards of the, of America's largest banks. Um, and so that, that was the system that the fed and treasury, you know, came into when we had a bank crisis with Silicon Valley Bank. And in the first hours, they seemed willing to let Silicon Valley Bank fail without a backstop, which then would have caused depositors to get most, maybe all, maybe maybe 95%, maybe just a portion of their money, but with risk and delay, they get some of it soon, more of it later when, it had time, when assets had time to be sold. Um, and uh, the Fed's stepped up and moved faster and more strongly and guaranteed the bank because they thought even this regional bank could, um, you know, could fail causing systemic problems. So there was something that wasn't that, you know, that, that, that system that was designed to only give the highest level of protection for these systemically important banks, the biggest ones um, that seemed to not be enough. And the fed and treasury felt they had to backstop nearly every bank. So, what are the safe haven banks for new innovators right now? In theory, um, nearly all or nearly all U.S. banks are are now have their deposits guaranteed. So in a sense, you don't have to change. And many Silicon Valley VCs have strongly re-endorsed Silicon Valley Bank um, because of their long-term relationships there. They expect a lot of the employees will be the same there, even if very senior employees were let go intentionally because of the, of the disaster there. Um, and the, the, the way that Silicon Valley Bank works, they like that way. Uh, and I'll mention a couple, you know, examples that I heard of this. Um, uh, so in theory, it's it's safe at Silicon Valley Bank, but you might also consider having a business account at one of the systemically important banks because they are they are more explicitly guaranteed in a future crisis by the Fed. So those are the very biggest banks that, that I mentioned. Um, uh, and uh, so that that that's a, you know an answer to the safe haven banks, but by all means, you know, that's not intended as financial advice and you should do your own homework on that. Um, uh, and uh, so Silicon Valley Bank played a very important role in our ecosystem. You know, I'll, just, I'll give you just a couple of examples. Um, uh, you know, so most banks know how to evaluate the collateral provided by a manufacturing company or a real estate company 
or an auto dealership, they don't know how to provide how to evaluate the collateral provided by a software company led by a couple of great track record um, entrepreneurs who are also software product creators. They, they just don't know how to understand that company and how to value it and how to evaluate its collateral. And they're often unwilling to take that risk. And so Silicon Valley Bank specialized in people who knew how to evaluate those companies and were willing to to make, to take on that risk in banking to them. So that was one example. Another example was that oftentimes um, banks would want to visit your premises uh, and make that part of their and, and see your contracts for your premises and make that part of their evaluation of whether to make a loan for you. Oftentimes, young startups, young software companies, young digital health companies, they looked very modest in their premise. They looked less less impressive than a than a car dealership in their premise. Um, and so, um, and so, a lot of banks didn't want to bank software companies, but Silicon Valley Bank knew they would just talk to people about the track record of the entrepreneurs involved, the VCs um, uh, who are backing the company. They would already know those VCs, etc. And so another example is you'd have an entrepreneur who had a track record of taking no salary um, or being paid very little or having a gap in his work record. Um, and this, this entrepreneur can't get a mortgage for a house. Uh, but then they, they go to Silicon Valley Bank because they already have a relationship with them or uh, they were part of a number of prominent startups, and then Silicon Valley Bank would be willing to give them a mortgage without their having to have had a high, a stable high income salary for multiple years in the past. Uh, so that, that's an example of how Silicon Valley Bank served the the, the innovation community. Um, so um, let's see. So do you have a feeling? So here's Dave asking a question. Do you have a feeling yet? who would be the likely acquirer of the former Silicon Valley Bank? Well, so in, in theory, um, now that they, they've had their old equity shareholders wiped out um, and uh, they've had their deposits guaranteed, so in, in theory, they, they could stand alone. Um, uh, but, uh, and so we, we may see that. Um, uh, but I also think that, um, you know, any of the systemically important banks would probably like to get this kind of business. This was an unusual but valuable customer base. Uh, it's being prominent executives of technology companies and prominent VCs of technology companies. Um, so uh, that's, that's, you know, there's some funny things about it, like really what is your collateral? If, if you had, if, if a company raised $30 million and spent it on software and, and its product failed, what really is your collateral um, for that? It's not the same as if you were a manufacturing company or an auto dealership. Um, but uh, other than that though, a, lo it, a lot of the characteristics of it are, are attractive to commercial banks. Uh, and so there was some word that some regulators didn't want the biggest banks to buy Silicon Valley Bank because they didn't like banking consolidation. Um, so, you know, it's not clear why it wasn't bought more quickly. Um, let's see. So, um, and I see I have, so I have another question here. And then I see I have someone, Carter, who has raised his hand to be a caller. So um, uh, I'll, I'll seek to get to that. Uh, but let's see. So another question from Dave uh, is... Uh, do you know if the wine business is included in the current Silicon Valley Bank or was that portioned off to another entity? 
So I don't know. So what what I believe has happened, and, and of course, Silicon Valley Bank has been out of the news somewhat as the story has progressed from the story of just this one bank to the story of, I think it's four plus banks now, um, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, which was affiliated with, with crypto, um, was closed. Another bank was closed. First Republic was not closed, but its stock price fell precipitously. Um, and First Republic was also a favored bank of uh, technology entrepreneurs and technology VCs. Um, and then uh, Credit Suisse was bought by UBS um, in, uh, in Europe. Um, so, uh, but in the first few days with Silicon Valley Bank, I believe they did take pieces of the business off of Silicon Valley Bank and uh, sell them. Uh, and intriguingly, one of the um, one of the elements was that uh, when when certain VCs or entrepreneurs made enough money, it seems like the California thing is they would go and buy a want and buy a wine business. And they could have gotten a mortgage from anybody, but they preferred to get a, a mortgage from uh, Silicon Valley Bank because they already had accounts with Silicon Valley Bank, and Silicon Valley Bank was was happy to get into the into the wine country mortgage business as well. So I, I've not heard whether that whether those particular you know on books loans and mortgages um, were sold off or are still with the the. Silicon Valley Bank entity that's in receivership, but I know that there's a there's a new CEO of Silicon Valley Bank who's asking all their clients to stick with them, and claiming that their their accounts are now risk free because they're packed they're backed by the by the Fed's guarantee, um, and so um, you know so the, the the business may not be entirely sold off to others. So. Let's see, that's that's great. It looks like I lost my video and I'm not getting it back. I'm not sure why. But that, so thank you very much in the audience for the questions and would love to get more questions on these topics from the audience. Um, and I'm going to take a caller now. So here goes. Um, let's see. Hey, welcome. So Carter, um, you raised your hand to be a caller. So I, I just uh, uh, added you as a caller. Um, did you have any questions about our topic, which was how is the banking crisis impacting us? I don't have any questions. I just want to say, uh, keep up the great work, man. I, I like your podcast. Great. Thank you. Well, that, that that's a wonderful, um, wonderful vote of support. So thank you so much. Um, so I, 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 what I'm doing is I'm looking at, at the business of healthcare kind of ruthlessly from the eye of the innovation sector, which is typically the young company leaders and the investors it's from a business perspective. It's from the innovation perspective. It's not the whole world of healthcare. It's about what's going on um, with, with the young company leaders and also the investors who back them. So thank you. Um, and anyone else have any um, questions in the chat uh, or um, uh, or want to raise their hand to be a caller? So we've got a question here from Yash. Um, what are the opportunities for private investors with innovations suffering through the SVB fallouts? So I'm not, um, 
I'm not sure what exactly you mean private investors with, with innovations suffering through the SVDB fallouts. Um, but what I'd say is that, um, uh, so first of all, uh, if you're willing to go early stage, um, periods like today are often great times to be a seed investor or uh, an early stage investor. Uh, ironically, I think there was a point that was made by, I can't claim credit for this, but um, if you were a, a VC making investments in 2021, you felt really good and you didn't know it, but your investments of that vintage were going to be in trouble uh, because they would have excessively high valuations um, in just five quarters or whatever. Um, but today, if you're investing, um, you may not feel so good because the environment feels worse, um, but the future prospects of your investment may be better. Um, so now could be a good time to invest in certain innovative areas uh, in, in young companies. Um, there are certain areas people, that are very hot right now. So um, tech enabled services, um, you know, real AI breakthroughs that, that have real applications, although AI has been a, a buzzword for for 10 years and AI itself is not a new thing, but the new generative AI platforms we've seen, um, you know, are very, seem to be very innovative. And I'm actually gonna do a show in the future on the, the real practical applications of AI in healthcare. What are the different kinds of AI, um, uh, like large language models versus decision tree AI or other things like that? And where are the real opportunities? Um, so uh, so that, that's one. And then the next is that, um, is that I think we're gonna see a lot as a private investor, I think in the private markets, we're going to see um, a lot of uh, uh, of companies do down rounds in valuation. Young private companies are going to need you if you're a private investor, and they're going to do down rounds. And the problem is, is that there some companies are going to say, yes, we know we need money now to win in the marketplace. We have a good use for it, and we are willing to do a down round because obviously public market valuations are way down. Um, that's a good setup there. Other companies um, have a conflicted board. They have disagreement between their CEO and other board members about whether to take more money, um, whether to do a down round. Um, and those are, the, you know, those might seem like better business opportunities, but the deal opportunity is potentially much worse. You could spend a lot of time on that, get painted as the bad guy. And after you spend all your time working on that, still not be able to make the investment. Um, so that's, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, you know, you'll see a lot of, of companies. If you, if you had your eye on outstanding companies, um, uh, then, you know, a number of those companies, will need you as a private investor and now could be a time this is like a family office opportunity to come in uh and uh and invest in the company at a lower valuation so that's great so um let's see once again i'll just mention that we're having a a contest today for um the best uh the person with the best combination of questions and comments um, wins a Silicon Valley risk management team t-shirt, <laughs> which I'll let you know at the end who the winner is um, and uh, and mail that to you. Um, so uh, any, uh, we're coming toward the top of the hour. Any other thoughts, comments, questions from our audience? All 
I'll just mention that, you know, this, this banking crisis could have been really disastrous for digital health in the same way that it could have been really disastrous for tech, which is it starts with Silicon Valley Bank and digital health has high exposure to that bank and uh, deposits become unavailable. Companies can't make payroll. Companies begin announcing furloughs and layoffs. Com and ultimately, young, innovative companies are held together by the trust and confidence that the CEO has with employees and investors that they made the right decision to go with this venture. And if they have a huge setback, like all their payroll cash is at a bank that is closed, um, uh, you know, uh, the CEO may have done nothing wrong. Um, uh, and yet it, that, that can lead the company to fall apart and be hard to put back together again. So we had a, a potentially very serious crisis that seems to be just a liquidity crisis or a haircut crisis. You lost 15% of your cash because it was in the wrong bank or something, but it actually becomes a system-wide confidence crisis and causes young companies to fall apart and hard and be hard to put back together again. Um, that could have happened and it was averted by fast, strong moves of the Fed primarily. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, in, in backstopping the FDIC. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, once that happened, this became inconvenient, this became distracting, this became, um, you know, a, uh, a creator of uncertainty and turbulence, but it stopped being a life or death crisis, thankfully, um, for the digital, the U.S. digital health sector. So that, that's my... And the bigger issue is that we are in this uh, regime change. We, we had this regime change five quarters ago that put us in an environment of, which is maybe a more historically normal environment of higher interest rates at, at 5% risk-free rate and higher inflation rates at 6 plus percent CPI, um, uh, which is a tougher environment for tech. It's, it's a tougher environment because people can just put their money on a nearly risk-free basis in fixed income securities, uh, it's because people don't want don't need growth as much uh, once you have a higher um, uh, inflation and higher interest rates. So, so it's a tougher environment for tech, and we're looking to get out of the short term problem and get to a better regime in the future. And the short term problem is that private investors, VCs, have been holding back from investing because they think the Fed's going to raise rates further in order to beat inflation further. So they've been sitting on the sidelines waiting for public markets to find the bottom of valuation levels. Um, and we may be seeing the end game of that approaching with the Fed saying that it thinks it only needs to go a little further in raising rates to beat inflation. We could see a return to a more normal investment environment in Q2 or Q3 of this year. So that, so, and that ultimately has not been strongly affected one way or another by the banking crisis of the last two weeks. So, okay, great. So that's, uh, we're nearing the top of the hour. Uh, thank you all, especially my, uh, my uh, audience members who are asking questions um, and, uh, uh, and uh, I'll get back to you um, with the, the, the winner of the contest uh, after the call. Uh, and with that, it, uh, with, um, with that, uh, I'll sign off. Um, so um, you've been listening to 
Digital Health Investor Talk with host Stephen Wardell. You'll find a list of upcoming Investor Talk shows at stephenwardell.eventbrite.com. You can follow me on Twitter where my handle is at Stephen Wardell. Uh, to get notice of upcoming Investor Talks, sign up for our MailChimp list. Um, see you next time on Monday, March 27th at 4 p.m. for the show, Getting Digital Therapeutics Reimbursement to Work with Grady Hanna, the founder and CEO of Nightwear, the sleep prescription digital therapeutics company. Thanks uh, and signing off. Bye-bye.